Praise the Lord. Uh, Hebrews 13. Bless this word, Lord. Let it go deep into our hearts. And I pray that we would respond in faith and in obedience, Lord. I pray, Father, that you would work through us at greater measure in the days to come. And again, we pray for less of us and more of you. In Jesus' name. Verse 20. Now may the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with everything good for doing his will, working in us, accomplishing in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. If you remember, last week I finished up three different sermons on the fear of the Lord, and one of the things we discussed was living pleasing to Him, and the ability of a believer to live in such a way that's displeasing to the Lord. And replete throughout the New Testament is the call to walk in a way worthy of the Lord that's pleasing to Him. Am I pleasing in Christ Jesus once for all? Yes, I am. Is it possible to live in a way that displeases the heart of the Lord? Yes. So we want to move away from that into living in a way that we feel is pleasure in what we're doing. And we don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Well, one of the passages that I had in that teaching was this, Hebrews 13. Well, again, the Lord brings me back to it on Thursday this last week. And I take a deep dive into this verse 21 here of Hebrews 13. And then I wake up on Saturday morning and our sweet sister Joanne Stotts, who's away traveling this weekend with Chip, I think for an anniversary, sends me and Lizzie a text. Hebrews 13, 20 and 21. She says, this is a quip. And I said, well, praise the Lord. That's so sweet when we get those little kisses like that. And so here I am today to tell you twice spoken, three times spoken. This is a word for us to pay attention to in season. What is pleasing to the Lord? Or maybe another, the right question is, who is pleasing to the Lord? And everybody tell me his name. Jesus Christ. There is only one man who can live and who did live the Christian life. And his name is Jesus. And so we get the gospel, we've said this multiple times, in one sentence, 1 John 4.9. And that is this. This is how God showed his love among us. I don't know if we have that up there, Dina, or not. Let me, let me quote it, so, and let me read it so I'm not butchering it. 1 John 4.9. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. So the Lord has made a conduit that pleases him called the life of Jesus Christ, and he's put that in us. And when we live in and through Jesus Christ, we live the normal Christian life. We live the pleasing Christian life to him. And we discussed last week about faith. Anything apart from faith is sin. In fact, without faith, it's impossible to please him. 
And so we live in faith in the Son of God in us, living through us. So he says here in Hebrews 13, he wants to equip us with everything good for doing his will, working inside of us that which is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ. Through Jesus Christ. And so we have these phrases here. For doing his will. In us. To him. Working what's pleasing to him. And then through Jesus. For, in, to, and through. It's a life connected to the vine. It's a life that's bearing much fruit. But really what I want to zero in on for just a few minutes today, what was strong in my heart, is that we have a working God inside of us. And this blows my mind. If you step back and think about it, what other deity, little g God, works? And if you take a step back further, what other deity, little g God, loves? Only the God, Yahweh. Only the God of the Bible. Other gods are worked for and other gods are loved, but our God works for us and he loves us first so that we might then love him back and work with him. It's an amazing thing that we have a God like this. Isaiah 64 says it this way, no one has heard or no one has perceived, no eye has seen any God beside you who works on behalf of those who wait for him. It's fascinating when you go back and look at the beginnings with Adam and God did and God created and God brought and God formed and God did all of these things. He brings all the animals to Adam to see what he would name them. And there's this sweet co-laboring, but God is just a worker. Six days, he's working, he's working, he's working. And Adam gets put into the garden to work it to keep it, to protect it, taking part in the labor with the Lord. And then you get at the very beginning, God forming this relationship with Abraham. Genesis 18, 19, he says this, For I have chosen him, Abraham, that he will direct his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just. Listen, so that the Lord will bring about for Abraham what he has promised him. I've chosen Abraham to do all this stuff so that the Lord can bring about for Abraham all that he has promised. And so at the end of our lives, we get to say this beautiful phrase that's said in Isaiah 26, all that we have accomplished, Lord, you have done for us. I love that phrase so much. Because it doesn't take away the requirement for man to work diligently, but it gives all credit where credit is due. All that we have accomplished, you've done for us. So the Lord is working in us. Remember with me, Philippians chapter 2. You work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Why? Because it is God who's working in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Hebrews 13, working what's pleasing to him through Christ Jesus. Intro, we all know this, but we have to say this to get to this point. What is the Lord currently drawing you into so that the Lord can then send you out to? 
What is the Lord drawing you into so that he can send you out to? And I think the scriptures give us a really sweet answer for this. But before we do, remember with me this story. Jesus in Mark 4 sends the disciples to prepare the Passover meal. Go into the city. A man carrying a jar of water will meet you there. Follow him. Say to the owner of the house, the teacher asks, where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large room upstairs, furnished and ready. Make preparations for us there. The disciples left, went into the city and found the things just as Jesus had told him. So they prepared the Passover. Who prepared the Passover? Yes, the disciples. And who else? Jesus. Without Jesus, the Passover is not prepared. Without the disciples, the Passover is not prepared. Jesus is calling us into something where he's already finished all the work and he's so humble and he shares his glory with us that he allows us in as friends to see and to know what he's doing. Let me ask you this before we get to the main point of what I want to say. What day in history did did God's work and man's work intersect? Which day? The Sabbath. Shabbat. God on his seventh day rested, and that was man's first day. Man was created on the sixth day. But his first day waking up to work was the day of... And so God and man intersect on this day, and that's really key for us to understand. Because we work now from the place of rest. So go with me to John 5, and, and, and uh, let's, let's take a look at this just for a moment here together. John 5, talking about the invalid at the sheep gate pool that got healed, the waters were stirred, you remember? Well, the day Jesus healed the invalid was, of course, on the Sabbath, and it hacked the Pharisees off because they were, he was breaking their law that they said he could not do any work on. So we get to 16. Because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jewish leaders began to persecute him. In his defense, Jesus said to him, my father is always at his work. To this very day, the Sabbath day, and I too am working. And then 19, Jesus gave him this answer. Very truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing on his own initiative or by himself. He can only do what he sees his father doing. Because whatever the father does, the son also does. 20, for the father loves the son and shows him all that he does. Yes, and he will show him even greater works than these so that you will be amazed. Verse 20, I think is key. For the Father loves the Son. And what's key about this word is it's phileo. And you guys have heard the teachings on the different types of love. Romantic love, eros. You have agape love, the love of God, phileo, brotherly love. But this word phileo is different than what's used in 335. So you don't have to flip there, but in 335, it says that the Father agapes the Son and has placed everything into his hands. 
But here you have in John 5, the father phileos the son and shows him everything that he is doing. Okay, so agape love is powerful, noble, sacrificial love, supernatural. It's God's love for his people. It's the good Samaritan type. You just love because you love. It's, it's like regardless of any type of relationship, God loves. That's what he's put in his people. This is love for our enemies. But I say to you in Matthew 5, agape those who persecute you. Agape your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. That's the type of love we have for the world. But then we have phileo here. Uh, Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. This is close friendships, deep generosity and affection towards a brother or towards a sister. It seeks to make the other person happy. It's like giving a gift to your best friend. David and Jonathan had this type of love. Jonathan became one in spirit with David, made a covenant with him. There's a warmth and affection that's not the same as agape. Phileo love is special. And so this is a heart level connection that the father has with the son. For the father phileos the son and shows him all he does. And so as a friend... We're drawn into what the Father is doing that we might be sent out to do the work that's on his heart for that day. He's drawing us into deeper friendship with himself. And, and, and really to understand this, go to John 15, if you would. John 15, in verse 14, you guys know this. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you doulos or servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I've called you phileos, friends, philos. For everything I learned from the Father, I have made known to you. Servants don't know. Friends know. You're best friends with somebody, you know the attitude of their heart. You know their moods. You know what's going on in their life. Just They don't even have to say a word. You know by the tone of their voice, something's heavy on you, right? There, there is a deep warmth and affection that draws you into somebody's heart and life that's beautiful in this type of love. This is the type of love that allows us to know what the Father is doing. Are you a friend of the Lord? Because he's drawing you into that. He's drawing you into a deeper heart relationship with himself so that, not just so you can camp together, the two of you, it's so that you can work with him. God's working and acting within according to fulfill the good pleasure of his will. God has good works put inside of you. And so you're just drilling down into that relationship in his heart where those things begin to bubble out and you're co-laboring with him. He's doing all the heavy lifting for him for you and you're just showing up and saying, yes, Lord, here I am. And tons of fruit comes from that. What does it mean to be friends with God? There's probably a thousand answers. Here's three. Here's three. What does it mean? Well, the very first time I hung out with Eric and Candace Loss, we did a... Uh, 
We did a potluck at the Beals. We had some type of a meeting at the Beals, I think. Is that right? Yeah. It was, hey, when are we going to do that again? Can we all come to your house? <laughs> this is awkward. Yeah, I've got to put on the schedule. So sweet. Well, I'm staying in line, getting to know Eric and Candace. This is a couple of years ago. And they give me this word, Psalms 25. The secret of the Lord is with those who fear him. The Lord confides in. He relates intimately with. He tells his secrets to those who fear him. So picking up where I left off last week, how do you become friends with the Lord? You fear the Lord in a healthy way. And you honor his word. And he'll tell you his secrets. This is what I'm up to in this situation, this agenda. Number two, best friends promote and they defend. An example of this would be like Saul and his relationship with David. Or I'm sorry, Saul and his relationship with Jonathan versus Jonathan and his relationship with David. Jonathan had this biological relationship with his father Saul, but he had this phileo love with David. Well, then Saul would go off the rails and scream about how much he hated David and how evil he was, and Jonathan would defend him. No, this is not who David is. Go talk to him. So he had this love with David. So he promoted David and he defended him. Nothing usurps our intimacy with Jesus, no matter how good it is. I am no longer ashamed to call Jesus my best friend. I do not back down from my love for Jesus and his word just because all my coworkers speak the way they speak. I was like, no, I love Jesus more than the little bit of praise I can receive from you, and I'm willing to be ostracized for it. Like Moses in Hebrews 11, he chose to stop being called the son of Pharaoh's daughter and he chose instead to be persecuted with the people of God, to be maligned, and he considered the reproach of Christ as greater treasures than all the treasure of Egypt. Why? Because he saw Christ Jesus. And so when I have a best friend and I see them for who they are, nothing can get in the way of that. Uh, my brother Andy, right there. Hey, Andy. Andy's uh, my, one of my top three brothers. I love him so much. And he really is my, my, dear, my dear friend. Andy and I have been partners for 15 years in business and been walking together for, oh, I don't know, 37 years. And we hired a guy one time who's driving a truck for us. And this has happened on the opposite side for Andy too. This guy said he wanted to talk to me. He came into my office He's like, I need to talk to you about something. And he started bashing Andy like you would not believe. All of the ways he disliked Andy. And they were all mostly untrue. (laughs) He just went to town just ripping Andy. And I almost started laughing because I'm like, dude, like you worked for us for six months. Who do you think you are? Like, and I stopped him. I was like, hey, dude, you're talking about my business partner and my brother. You need to stop. This does not work with me here. And he shut up. Well, when we have a friendship with the Lord like that, we're like, no, you can't talk about Jesus that way. I love him so much. And I'm willing for you to dislike me or to leave because of Jesus. Or because we don't have a real deep friendship for Jesus, we go along with what they're saying. And, and we don't say anything back or we, or we cower down. 
And so when we choose that relationship with Jesus, when we choose to be marginalized like the man who was uh, blind, I don't know what to say, but I was blind, but now I see the Pharisee just persecuted him, persecuted him, persecuted him. His parents even were like, don't talk to us, talk to him. And they persecuted him. They came back, tell us again. And he's like, you guys have not listened to me this whole time. And I keep on telling you the same thing, so I'm going to be done telling you. They're like, how dare you lecture us? You were born steeped in sin. This guy's like, whatever, he healed me. It's the only time in the scriptures Jesus came and hunted that guy down. He came and found him after he healed him. He's like, I love you so much. That's what happens. When we bear reproach for the sake of Christ, we enter into a deep phileo love with him and he starts to show us what he's doing. Oh, lastly, friends spend a lot of intentional time together. There's no way around this. There's no way around this. We had dinner with Thomas and Sarah last night at their house. What great hosts they are. Thomas makes burnt ends like no, no burnt tips like nobody's business. Let me tell you what, barbecue, invite yourself over like we do. <laughs> Sarah's got this sweet friend of hers and she was talking about she's, she's a long ways away, but they talk a lot. They don't get to see each other face to face, but they interact on the phone. It's like, it doesn't matter where your friend is. You're like, I got to have a heart connection with them, right? It it stokes the fire of your love for that person. And so you, you interact, you talk, you play together, you work together, you fellowship together, and you begin to get knit together, and that time that you sow into begins to increase knowledge of that person. You know them at the heart level. You love them deeply. And just the same with the Lord. That time being transformed from glory to glory, just, just even just being quiet before him and letting him wash over your heart and feeling that oil just go down deep and just feeling his affection for you. It stamps you, it marks you. And you grow in your knowledge of him, not just his acts. Israel was familiar with his acts. Moses was familiar with his ways and his character and his movements and his personality. And you just begin to walk with him and he's so beautiful. That only takes time and lots of it. You begin to see him. You begin to know him in a way that makes you like him. You are who you hang out with. I've been talking about work here, working from the place of rest and letting him work in us. And I want to tell you guys, that no one outworks the Lord Jesus. He changed the world and he ministered to tens of thousands of people all from the place of rest. The Lord actually wants to get more out of you, not less, but he doesn't necessarily need you to work harder. He needs you to rest more in him and he'll work harder through you. You just say yes to what he's doing. No, no one, I think, that, that I know of in, in modern history worked harder than Charles Spurgeon and George Mueller. 
Those guys were just animals. Listen to this. This is one example. George Mueller, I'll finish with this. For more than half a century, I have never known one day when I had not more business than I could get through. For 40 years, I have had annually 30,000 letters, 30,000 letters a year, and most of these have passed through my own hands. I have nine assistants always at work corresponding in German, French, English, Danish, Italian, Russian, and other languages. Then as a pastor of a church with 1,200 believers, great has been my care. I have charge of five orphanages, also a publishing depot, and the printing and circulation of millions of tracts, books, and Bibles. But I have always made it a rule never to begin work until I've had a good season with the Lord. You see, you, we read about these heroes of the faith and they accomplish so much and they'll say, I have so much to do, I have to spend an extra hour with the Lord in the morning to get it all done. Why? Because it's the Lord working in them and through them powerfully and they're giving him room and they're letting him minister their hearts as a friend and they're just doing what he's doing. Jesus just showed up at the right place at the right time all the time because the Lord was directing him where he went. That's the call for us, to take part in that with him. Amen? Yeah. Amen, amen. Let's